Good morning. Um, before I, I jump in, uh, we've had a few people ask us um, about why we have a TV up on stage now. And uh, Ben talked to me before we started this morning, just said, well, did you just tell them like, why we have it? So um, really, the, the long, long story short, uh, for the longest time, uh, Pastor Chip has really wanted to be like Vanna White. Uh, <laughs> I said that in the first service, and I started wondering, like, does everybody know who Vanna White is? Um, but no, uh, what, we, what we really, uh, last, uh, the last year and a half or so, we've, like, kicked off our uh, Facebook Live uh, campus. People join us every week on Facebook Live to, to worship, whether it's some of you who are out of town uh, or people that are even in our community um, that are... are um, just on, on Facebook that morning. They click on there to, to be a part of this. Um, this kind of helps them see what's up here. Um, they, uh, they get some of the text stuff at the bottom, but they don't always see the whole thing or uh, videos that we show or different things. And so this is kind of a way to bring them in on that. Uh, it also helps um, us as, as, uh, who, who are preaching and teaching that morning give us something that we can stand next to and point to. Um, we, we give Chip a hard time because he wants to touch things, and we tell him it doesn't work that way. Uh, but uh, no, that's why we have the TV, uh, if, if any of you have been wondering. Um, and it's been, it's been a good thing so far. I talked it up last service, and then I had a technology fail. So uh, hopefully this service, we're, we're going to uh, do a better job with that. Uh, so um, to kind of back up uh, what uh, Pastor Ben talked about when he prayed for... Uh, uh, the 50th uh, celebrations coming up. Uh, I've, I've had the opportunity myself to be a part of a few of these milestone celebrations that we have um, at, at other churches that I've been at, and there's just something cool about getting together uh, and celebrating the faithfulness of God to a community of people. I mean, when we get together and we worship in general, we get together and we celebrate the history of God with humanity, right? Um, how he's interacted, how he's created us, how he's interacted with us, uh, and so forth. And this is just kind of a microcosm of that in our own, in our own community here in Napoleon. Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe this is your first Sunday here, uh, but, uh, but maybe you, you have been coming here your whole life. Regardless of whatever it is, this day is for everybody. We're going to celebrate what God has done, and we're going to look forward to what God is doing in the future. So I just invite you uh, to, to be here in just a few weeks when we celebrate that on the 30th. Um, and again, if you need any other motivation, you get to throw a, a ball at a target and possibly dunk Pastor Chip. So if you need that as motivation to come that day, that's there for you. Uh, we've been doing a lot actually to prepare for the 50th though. We have uh, had committee meetings. We've uh, reserved things. We've got food lined up. We've uh, been making travel plans and, and helping former pastors and staff members to come back and get to be a part of that day. Um, we, uh, we've done a lot of things. We've been in prayer a lot about that day and invite you to join us uh, in that. We're really praying that the weather uh, on that day cooperates, uh, that uh, there's no liquid sunshine that day, that we just get the real thing. Um, but one of the things that we've been doing as we get ready for the 50th, uh, though, is to go through the sermon series that we've been going through called Synced Up. And we're looking at the seven churches that uh, Jesus talks to in Revelation. And uh, these seven churches reveal to us uh, things, uh, both good things and both bad things, that churches uh, have a tendency uh, to do. And we, uh, we get the opportunity to look at their examples 
and to then look at ourselves, uh, both uh, where we've been and, again, where we're going to. And so we've been, we've been doing that. Uh, and, again, for those of you who have uh, maybe not had the chance to be with us, um, this, these, the, the letters that we've been reading are from Jesus, and Jesus' view of the church 60 years after uh, he, he left and ascended into heaven. Um, and, and as we've been going through each one, we ask ourselves, uh, which letter would Jesus send to me? Because this is a corporate thing. We, uh, we, we look at these letters as a corporate body, but we also look at them individually. They teach us something about who we are in Jesus, as well as who we are as a body of believers in Jesus. So real quickly, just to, just to go back and, and refresh, Ephesus was where we started. That's kind of the mother church. Uh, then, uh, and if you remember, Ephesus struggled. They, they lost their first love. They were doing all of these things. They were, they were really good at the religious practices and the traditions and going through all of this, but they, they lost their first love. They, for, they forgot why they started doing this in the first place. And that was, that was Ephesus. Then Smyrna, Smyrna uh, they actually didn't receive any um, verbal condemnation from Jesus in the letter. He, uh, the, the, the common trend is Jesus shares who he is. He says maybe a good thing about the church, but then he lets them know what they're doing wrong. Smyrna didn't get that, but the thing that Smyrna did get was stay strong because you're going to endure persecution and even death. So even though they, they got, they got the, the positive, they also received the, the, the word that, guess what? You, you're going to have to endure some persecution, and it's, and it's going to end possibly in the face of a starved lion, tiger, or, or in the face of a gladiator in an arena. Uh, but, but God has a crown for them for being victorious in their battle. So that was, that was Smyrna. Uh, then we looked at uh, Pergamum and Thyatira together. And you remember, they, they were kind of similar, and, and they had some good things going at both of those places. In fact, one of them, Jesus even says, you guys are even doing more now than when you started, which is good. That shows growth, that shows maturity, that shows a lot of good things. However, you're allowing things to seep in on the sides. Uh, you're, you're allowing, uh, Jesus used the names Balaam and Jezebel of, of the culture to kind of seep its way in. It's manipulating the gospel. It's changing the message. And you can't have that in a church. You can't allow, you can't allow the culture around you to change the message. And we're going to talk about that today. And then we, last week we talked about Sardis. Sardis, if you remember, from the surface level looked like a fine church. But under the surface they were dead. And just like when Jesus interacts uh, with dead people in Scripture, what does he tell them to do? He says, wake up. Wake up. And, and he tells us to this church, listen, part of you has already died and it's, it's gone. But if you want to save what's left, you need to wake up. And as, and as Christians, as believers, sometimes we can allow ourselves on the surface to look fine, but spiritually we're dead. And just like Sardis, we need Jesus to tell us to wake up. That's what we talked about last week. That's Sardis. Today we're going to move on to Philadelphia. Now the church in Philadelphia, um, it's located 25 to 30 miles southeast of Sardis. So it's really close there on that map. It's founded in 189 BC by King uh, Attalus of Pergamos. Uh, it's named after Attalus's care and love for his brother. It was noticed by people how much he cared and loved for his brother. And so then it became known as the city of brotherly love which so happens to be the name of our United States, Philadelphia City. 
Uh, the land was good and rich for agriculture due to volcanic ash. It sat along a uh, fault line of sorts. And it had, um, it had in the past had volcanoes that had erupted. Uh, the, the ash from the volcano made the soil rich. Uh, it was a big agricultural place. Um, and so uh, they were known for their farming and different things. Uh, it also sits uh, as a main outpost, not a military outpost, but a main outpost on the Imperial Post Road. It's how information traveled throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, it sat smack dab in the middle of it. It went right through Philadelphia. Philadelphia was kind of on the line in between uh, Rome and uh, uh, Rome, and then um, also into kind of your, your Asian countries as well. And so it, uh, it kind of sat in a very key position, so much so that Rome valued it. Uh, and when it was destroyed by an earthquake in 17 AD, uh, Rome paid every dime to rebuild it because it was so important not only to uh, the, the postal road, but also uh, in their uh, influence on the Oriental countries that it, it bordered. Uh, and Rome, because they, they were so important and their influence in Philadelphia was so important, they wanted to make sure that people got it right. And so Rome would send missionaries there to teach the people how to be more Roman. All right, they would go and they'd teach them about uh, some of their religions and things, but they'd also go and teach them about art and about music and about fashion and about all these different things that, was, that were going on in Rome and the culture around them. Um, they, would, uh, they would send missionaries to teach the people of Philadelphia about these things. Uh, but the other thing that's kind of interesting about Philadelphia, the inhabitants of the land, they were afraid of earthquakes. When you look at the, the ruins of Philadelphia from a current day perspective, you can kind of see why they might fear earthquakes. They had had so many. In fact, the one that destroyed it in 17 AD uh, was bad, um, that's just one of the major ones we have on record. The only thing I can kind of compare this to, um, I lived in Oklahoma for a decade and uh, had the opportunity to live in Moore, Oklahoma for a while. Uh, thankfully, got out of Moore, Oklahoma before the tornado came through in 2012 and, and hit and devastated the neighborhood just across the street from where my apartment was. Uh, but in talking with people that lived there in Moore, that wasn't the first tornado that hit Moore. And Moore, Oklahoma, people will not move back there now because they're too afraid of the fact that a tornado could come at any point in time and tear up their house, and they'd be right back to square one. And so people, people are not moving back to more the way that they had lived there before the tornado. So that is, that is very similar to these people in Philadelphia. They are scared to death of earthquakes. Um, so keep that in mind, because we're going to come back to that. The last two things I want to share with you about Philadelphia, they have a large Jewish population. Uh, Sardis is a main hub for Jewish culture in that day. Sardis, like I said, was 25 miles away from Philadelphia. And so um, whatever was going on in the Jewish community in Sardis would also go on in Philadelphia. And there were thousands of, of Jews in the synagogue there. But the church that receives this letter, and they know this, I, I guess, through uh, some Christian historians as, all, as well as a few others, they know that there was only about 12 to 15 total Christians in Philadelphia at the time that this letter was written. So you have a culture that's sitting uh, on the edge of two cultures, or you have a church that's sitting on the edge of two cultures. You have this main road that flows through that's not only bringing information, all types of information, but also trade things and different, different things, people traveling through there on a regular basis. Uh, and then you've got a, a strong 
uh, empire that wants to make sure that those people that live there are as, as Roman as they possibly can be. And that's the setting to which you find 12 to 15 Christians meeting in a small home church in that city. And to them, Jesus, our Savior, writes a letter. And so we get to read that. To the angel in the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. So, um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to, uh, and I say opportunity loosely, I had uh, the opportunity to read two of my papers that I had written in college out loud to my class. And they couldn't have gone any differently. Uh, one, of the, one of the two was in a systematic theology class. And uh, we were told when we wrote it that we were going to have to read it out loud. And so um, it was a 10-page paper. I don't even remember really the topic at this point. But uh, I know that uh, my thinking was, if everybody has to read, why don't I go first? Because if I go first, I'm not going to be, uh, like nobody's going to remember my paper by the end of this because you're going to have to sit through 15, 10-page papers. So by the time, like, whether mine is good or bad, for whatever it is, it, it won't matter. So I decided to go first. For the next 45 minutes after I read my paper, the professor stopped class and literally picked through my paper point by point, page by page, and nobody else read their paper, and I was left devastated because I had, I had, I had written a very poor paper, I guess, at that point in time in my college career, and uh, I just, I hate it. I never wanted to read my paper ever again in that class. And we had opportunities, every paper we read or wrote, to read it in class. And I never, I never volunteered after that point. Um, but then the other paper that I read out loud in class was in my English Comp 2 class. And I remember we were writing uh, video reviews or film reviews. And uh, the only thing I really remember is that I had to review the movie K-19 Widowmaker. If you've ever seen it, it's about a uh, Russian submarine that kind of goes rogue. Um, and so uh, I, I had to write a paper on that. And, and, and up until that point in my college career, I wasn't too, uh, I don't know, I, 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 I did not enjoy writing, but I was told I was okay at writing um, until I got into the systematic theology class, that was. Um, and so I read that paper out loud in class. And just as that one professor stopped class and picked through my paper and tore it apart, this professor did the same thing, but the complete opposite way. She, to this day, has saved that paper that I wrote to use it as an example to everybody else. And I got to like the uncomfortable point where like she kept complimenting it over and over in front of my other classmates. And I was just like, okay, that's a good move. Let's, let's you know, just keep going. She even went and told, she told the class what, what my grade was. And like, you can get sued for that now. Um, <laughs> but she told, she told the class how good it was. So here's, I, I, I give you those two scenarios because that's kind of what the church in Philadelphia is experiencing. See, we read these letters and we, it's really easy to think, oh, well, uh, you know, wrote the letter to Ephesus. We're going to send that on and it's just going to go. And then we're going to write this letter uh, to Smyrna and it's going to go off. No, John wrote all these down and each church got the letter for every other church as well. 
They got, just like we're reading it now uh, with all the letters intact, so were they. So they weren't just hearing about their own church. They were also hearing about what was going on at the other churches in the area. And every church, it starts out, Jesus starts out the letter this way. He talks about himself. He kind of establishes credibility with himself. Here in this letter, he says, I'm holy and I'm true. So being holy and true, uh, it, it tells us that, that Jesus, be, he's God and he's holy. And therefore, because he's God and he's holy, he cannot be around sin. That's why we needed Jesus to come and die for us so that we can be, we, we can be forgiven, have that sin washed away so that we can live with God uh, and have a relationship with God because God can't be around sin. So if Jesus is starting out a letter by saying, guess what? I'm holy and true. I would start to think, how am I not? And then, then Jesus went on and said, um, what, uh, what I open, no one can shut, and what I shut, no one can open. So basically he's saying, I have all of the power that I need. No, there's nothing that can change or manipulate what I do. And then he throws this part in, I, I, I have the keys of David. See, most of the Christians at this point in time uh, come from a Jewish background. And so Jesus wants to establish credibility with them as well, saying, guess what? That means I am the Messiah. If I hold the keys of David, I'm the Messiah that you had been waiting for. And so he establishes that. And then he says this. I, he ends it with this, this opening part. I know your deeds. Now, normally, this is where the hammer drops, right? In all the other letters, this is where the, the, it changed. God is going to, Jesus is going to, let them have it for what they're doing wrong. However, we move on and we read this. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet, and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come uh, on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. The hammer never falls on the church in Philadelphia. The church in Philadelphia is the good example they're the template church. They're the church that all these other churches need to emulate and live up to. Now, guess what? They're probably the smallest one. You had the church in Ephesus who birthed all these other churches. They're the mother church. They're the church that should have their stuff together there. It's the church in Philadelphia that's doing it right with the 12 to 15 people. And, there, and there's stuff that we need to learn from Philadelphia. We can become a Philadelphia church, but there's some things that we have to do. A Philadelphia church does not let attendance bother them or keep them from their mission. It's really easy to get caught up in, when you're in church and when you're in the life of a community with who's here and who's not. How many people were here worshiping this week? How many people attended this, this class or this small group? How many, what resources do we have? What facilities do we have? What, all of this stuff, it's really easy to, make, to get sidetracked with that stuff. But Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia, 
No, you guys, even though you're, you've had little strength, even though your resources are little, you have endured. Um, this is exactly what, what Jesus was talking about when he gave the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And he, he ended talking to the first two servants in that. He replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put in your care, or in your charge, I will put you in charge of many things. See, what's happening, we read, we just read in that part that, uh, about the synagogue of Satan, right? That really strong line that there, there's uh, all those people he's going to make come back and, and bow down and acknowledge that God loved those 12 to 15 Christians. Basically, what's this? They've been persecuted by the synagogue. And they're small in size. It <laughs> makes me laugh. Kind of think about, has anybody in here ever watched the movies or read the books, The Lord of the Rings? in here. A few of you have, okay? You notice that every battle in that whole series is like one side has got like a really small group of people, and they're fighting this huge massive army, and they always win. They always win. That's kind of what it has to feel like to be a part of the church in Philadelphia. And they've got this massive synagogue that surrounds them of Jews who persecute them and who take advantage of them and who just don't like them because they're moving in and they're, they're telling them that they're wrong. And they're, the God, Jesus is telling these Christians in this letter, you're going to get the opportunity to lead them to me. And then they're going to realize that just like I love them, I also love you. That we don't often think of the ability to witness to people as a blessing, but that's exactly what Jesus is telling the church in Philadelphia. Guess what? You're small in number now, but pretty soon all these thousands of Jews that live around you, they're they're gonna come to their they're they're gonna come to their senses. They're going to be they're gonna hear from my spirit. You're gonna share me with them. I'm, they're gonna believe in me, and they're gonna end up. Um, they're going to end up realizing that, guess what? This whole entire time, I loved you guys just like I love them. And so that's something that's cool. And, and, and if we're a Philadelphia church, we are going to get the opportunity to do that. Who are, your, who, are your, uh, who are your people that are around you that maybe they're not persecuting you per se, but they're people that are around you that, that don't want anything to do with the church, who don't want anything uh, to do with... Um, the, the gospel that you live out on a day-to-day -day basis, who you could possibly have the opportunity to share Jesus with. God's opened that door for the church in Philadelphia, and God can open the door, that door here in Napnaz as well. So then, a Philadelphia church also does not change their message to entice the culture around them. Guess what? When you go out every day, and you get rejected by a group of people every day, it can, it can kind of wear down on you. And it can get to the point where it's like, well, you know what? If we can make a slight concession over here, they, then it, can all, like, it becomes political, right? right? We have these strong political stances, but if we want people to join us in our politics, sometimes we'll like, shave little bits and pieces off so they'll come and join us. Like, you hear politicians do it all the time. We, got, we presented this bill, but we know that they won't go with it if we don't take this out and do this and change this. So then all of a sudden, the, the, the integrity of the bill is compromised because we're trying to entice all these people to come and join us. They could have done that in the church in Philadelphia. They could have taken the gospel. They could have made concessions here and there to try to get the Jewish people to come and join them so that then in turn, because we're only talking about the Jewish people right now, but guess what? It's a huge city. 
It's a city that, that Rome cares about, that's sending people to it constantly. Think of the mission field and the opportunity that they have there in Philadelphia. But right now they're being smothered by this, this synagogue. And so they're trying to witness to them, and if they can get past them, then they can get to all the other people. It'd be really easy to make a concession in what they do in their message to try to get them to join them. But they don't do it. If they would have, Jesus would have written about it, and they wouldn't be the example church. Just like Chip has said multiple times throughout this series, um, we can know just as much about what's not there by what is there. And this is one of those opportunities, one of those moments. This is, this is a good thing to, to hear. I had a professor that, that had this uh, on the board multiple times when we come in our classes in college. Methods can and should change, but the message has to stay the same. So we can change methods all day, and, and honestly, our methods should change with the times. As, as times and as culture around us changes, we should change our methods. Methods are um, chairs instead of pews. It's having coffee out in your lobby. It, it's um, using a TV on stage. Those are all methods that, that we can use, that we can change. Uh, but the message can never change. Those, that's, that's the gospel. That's our doctrine that we hold on to, and that can't change. And that's the people in Philadelphia have known this, have learned this, uh, and, and that's, that's credited to them. Then the also, a Philadelphia church endures during difficult times. Um, Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, um, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're never guaranteed a life without struggle, um, but we are guaranteed that, that God will be with us, and um, we can endure through anything because we have hope and a Savior who has forgiven us of our sins so that one day we can live with him forever. Just like the church in Smyrna had to hear that from Jesus and be reminded of that, uh, the church in Philadelphia seems to be living this out on a regular basis. They understand that they can make it through anything for this period of time because they serve a God who's in control of everything. The last thing we learned is that uh, even though there are troubles and trials, we can, if we follow uh, Christ's example, we can be spared from certain testing and trials. Not everything, all right? We're not going to be spared from every trial, but there are certain things that, guess what? We're told that we are tested, right? Um, working with teens, I, I know at the end of every semester when they have their semester testing, there are some of them that are exempt from their finals because the teacher knows they know the material, right? Well, the church in Philadelphia, Jesus knows that they know it. He knows that they get it. They've shown it. So they are, they are being exempt from some of the trials and testing. We don't know what that is per se. Some, some people look into that, and they view that as, as the rapture and, and the different things that are coming uh, in the future. Uh, but most theologians say, you know, th they had to be writing about something specific. There was something going on that these churches were all going to have to deal with. But Philadelphia is going to be exempt from this because they've held fast to Jesus's teaching and the gospel. And uh, that's something that, that uh, is good for us as a church to hear. You know, we can save ourselves some angst and some trouble sometimes if we just hold tight to the gospel. We can, we can avoid situations that can be hurtful and uncomfortable and things if we just hold tight to the gospel and the teaching of Jesus. 
If we worry about showing people the love of Jesus and, and, and sharing the message that, guess what, you don't have hope, but, but hope can be found in Jesus. You've been searching, you've been longing for this. It's here. If, if we hold tight to that message, it will save us from a lot of hours of testing. The last part of the letter to the Philadelphia church says this, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus leaves them with two promises. The first promise is, guess what? I'm coming back. And this isn't a new promise from Jesus. Jesus makes this multiple times while he's, while he's on earth with them. Right? John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that, there, so that you may also be where I am. Right? When, when Jesus ascends into heaven and acts, the angel says to the men of Galilee, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This isn't a new thing. But he just lets them know, guess what? Some days when you're struggling and you're by yourself in the midst of your enemies, just know, just know, even if even if things don't change, even if you just stay a church of 12 to 15 who constantly try to tell people about Jesus and are turned away, guess what? I'm coming back again. You won't, this won't have to be a forever thing. This isn't a final thing. See, the, the second coming of Jesus has, meant, uh, was, has always meant, uh, been a message of hope to God's people. I remember as a kid being so afraid of it it would keep me up at night. I, I went to a camp as a teenager in high school, or not high school, junior high, uh, and in Iowa in the 90s. And they, they showed us a reel-to-reel film called A Thief in the Night. Some of you may have seen it. Um, it scared me to death. And, and then I went home, and then I read all these books about the, the, from the Left Behind series. And that scared me to death. And I was so afraid of Jesus coming back again and being left behind and not making it and going through all of these scenarios. And uh, it, I just was, I was terrified of it. But that's because you hear it from, that, from a fictional point of view. Jesus coming back was never meant to be a scary thing. It's meant to be a message of hope. This, th not only these letters, but the whole book of Revelation is written to a people who are experiencing suffering and persecution and trying to advance the gospel against all odds into all corners of the world. And it was rough work. And John is telling them, guess what? Even if you, even if you lose your life, or if you don't, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make all this right. So that was a promise that they got to hold on to. The second promise uh, is just as interesting. The victors will become pillars in the temple of my God. Now, I told you guys to remember at the very beginning about being afraid of earthquakes. This is what happens to pillars 
and earthquakes. And they had seen this happen time and time and time again. And so to hear this promise would probably not be something that immediately would click with them as a positive. Pillars fall down. Pillars crumble. Pillars crack. And Jesus is telling us that's going to be our reward. We're going to become a, a pillar. The reward is becoming a pillar, but being set on the foundation of Jesus. It's the temple of his God. The world changes, shifts, moves all around, just like the earth quaked in Philadelphia. We deal with constant change. We deal with constant movement. The culture gets this view of things and then gets this view of things and gets this view of things. And so often it's totally opposite and against what we, what we believe, what we feel, what we think is a church, what we're told is true. And Jesus steps in and he says, I am holy and true. In fact, in Psalms 62, we read this. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. And what Jesus is promising the church in Philadelphia and promising you and me today is that if we hold tight to his message, to his gospel, to his word, we'll be set upon a foundation that can never shake, can never quake, can never make you crumble, can never make you fall. And it will always be there. It will always be constant. And I can't think of a better message for us to hear as a church who's celebrating 50 years of God's faithfulness and looking forward to the next 50. That if we, if we build our foundation on Jesus, there's nothing that this, this world, this culture can do to make us crumble, to make us fall, because we're set on something that's solid, that's constant, that's holy and true. And just like this is a message for the church, it's a message for you and me individually. There's a lot of different ways that we can set our foundation. I, I could sing the song for you, but I won't. We all learned it in children's church, right? The, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the flood came up. We know what happens to the houses, right? Individually, it's so it's so tempting for us. We can think things in this world are so right, so true, so we can grab onto them, but there sometimes are things that aren't of God, and when they're not of God, guess what? They're the sand. They're not that solid rock that we can put stuff on. The world convinces us that, no, this is safe. This is good. You should be a part of this. You should do this. This should take your time. This should take your money. This should take your energy. This should take all this, but guess what? If it's not God, it's not the foundation you need to be building your, your life on. And so the message that we get from the church in Philadelphia is to not only to endure, not only to, to, to face struggles, not only to, to, to be uh, the, the minority in, in a culture that, that wants to do different things and other things. What we learn from the church in Philadelphia is to build our foundation on Jesus because it won't quake it won't move, and we won't have anything to fear. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for um, the message of the church of Philadelphia. We thank you for a church that we can look to for an example. We thank you, um, we thank you that you are the, the same Jesus that wrote that letter that, that's making those promises, not only to that church there, but to our church here in 2018 in Napoleon, Ohio. 
Dear God, I, I pray that we would live up to, the, to the, uh, the example of the church in Philadelphia. I pray that we would um, get the opportunity that you would open doors for us to go into our community and to share your word with people, people who, who may be in, in complete opposition to what we're saying. Dear God, I pray that your spirit would go before us, that our, our conversations would be fruitful, that our, that our interactions with people that we meet on, uh, on an everyday basis would, would uh, begin to soften hearts, would begin to uh, um, just lead people closer to you. And I pray that we would get to be a part of it as NAPNAS, as a church here in, uh, in this community. Dear God, I pray that um, we would remember upon all things to make you our foundation. Everything on this earth will move, but you won't. Dear God, thank you that, uh, that you're a God who allows us uh, to, uh, to be built upon you. You, uh, you, you, don't have, you don't have to do that. You're a God who created us, and you could leave us be on our own, but you don't. You love us. You've, you've stayed true to us. You've kept your word. Dear God, we thank you for that this morning. Dear God, I pray that you would be with us as we go from this place. I pray that... Um, you would just guide and direct us as we go throughout our week. Be with the conversations that we have. Be with the opportunities that we have to show love to others. And to God, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.